This is Messages from the Middle. I'm Wendy Parrish. Today's episode is The Perilous Journey, Episode 2. On this episode, I talk about my recent experience hiking Mount Kilimanjaro and a metaphor that I discovered for mental illness while hiking on summit night. I also found that the things that helped me to get to the top of the mountain can also be used to help you through your perilous journey. I hope there's some useful information in this episode for you. So let's go. Have you noticed that people don't usually share their struggles until they're over? It's not until they've defeated their dragon and marched victoriously home that they share their story. Well, I'm not one of those people. My name is Wendy Parrish, and I am in the middle of my story. From the middle, I've learned a few things, and I would like to bring you into my story. This is the good, the struggle, the light, the dark, and the lessons learned. This is Messages from the Middle. It's 11 p.m. I am awakened by a soft, kind voice. Hello, it's time to wake up. I groan, having only been asleep for four hours. I know we have a very long night ahead of us. It's pitch dark, it's cold, and the wind is howling. I look over at Mitch, my husband, and say, well, it's windy, but at least it's cold. And he responds with, well, yeah, it's cold, but at least it's dark. (laughs) We proceed to get dressed in what can best be described as all our clothes. Four layers on the bottom, capoline tights, fleece tights, hiking pants, and rain pants, and five layers on the top. Two layers of long sleeve capoline, a fleece, a puffy vest, a puffy coat, and a shell. This is summit night on Mount Kilimanjaro. Climbing Mount Kilimanjaro had been a dream of ours for years. I love to hike and I love to do cool things, but I'm not a technical climber. For me to check off one of the seven highest peaks, Kilimanjaro was pretty much it. Plus, Africa has always been on my dream travel list. We'd planned to hike Mount Kilimanjaro around about the time we turned 50, but a little over a year ago, Mitch got an email for a Kilimanjaro expedition in 2023. We talked about it for a little while and realized that it's probably better to do it before 50. I was already dealing with a pretty significant back issue. And as much as we like to say age is just a number, our bodies weren't recovering the way that they used to. So we decided it was time to go for it. The year leading up to our Africa trip was the hardest year we've experienced in our marriage. And that's saying something when you've had four kids through infertility. It was that year that for over nine months, someone from our family wasn't living in our home. It was the year that I had my steep downward spiral that led to my seven week stay in a residential treatment center for my mental health. It was the year that Mitch took on 95% and honestly probably more of the burden of our home and family. By the time we reached January of 2023, we were worn out, ready for a vacation, and ready for an adventure. The trip started out a little rough. Our flight from Amsterdam to Kilimanjaro was canceled just a few hours before we were meant to take off. With only 24 hours before our group left Moshi to start hiking, we had to scramble to find a flight that would get us there so we didn't miss the trip we'd planned for years. A lovely lady at KLM found us a series of flights that would get us there 45 minutes before our group left for the mountain. 
Our one flight was now three flights that took us overnight, meaning we would show up exhausted, stinky, and just in time to hop on a bus and leave on a seven-day hike. So if that was our biggest issue, yay, problem solved. We made it. It's great. But you know what? They lost our luggage. Seriously, when we travel, we always carry on. But this trip required more gear than we could fit into one carry-on, so we gambled and checked our bags. We took precautions. We booked with an airline we trust. The minimal amount of connections and through airports that seemed bigger. We put a lot of trust in our gear making it, but you know what they say about making plans. So there we are, sleep deprived, unshowered with no hiking clothes, and we scrambled. We spent 24 hours in Amsterdam, so we'd both had warm coats, and I had a beanie because I never leave home without one. Mitch was wearing pants he could hike in, and he had another pair of pants that would work for hiking, so I took those, and I took his belt, which led to a few comical moments with his pants falling down. I rented some hiking boots and a backpack. They say higher there, which I love so much. Mitch didn't trust unknown hiking shoes, so he wore his Vans. Our amazing guides told us they would find our luggage, and when it came into the airport, they would bring it to us at our second camp on a resupply run. Hiking Kili is amazing. You start in the rainforest, then you pass up through the moorland zone. This area reminded me a lot of the Utah and Montana mountains just above the tree line, and the vegetation is always unique and changing. Then you go up into an alpine zone, and then you go into a desert alpine zone. Everything's always changing. The temperatures are unpredictable, as is the rain. We got so lucky and never got rained on while we didn't have our rain gear. You have to hike pole pole, which means slowly, slowly. If you go too fast, you don't acclimate and run the risk of getting altitude sickness. The guides are amazing and kind. You have porters who carry most of the gear, food, and water. These guys are flying past you while carrying heavy packs on their back and a large bundle on their heads. It was incredible to watch. I also want to mention we did not get our stuff on the second night. It came on the fourth. That's four long, cold nights. We were lucky to have an amazing group to hike with us. They donated what they could to help us stay warm. Our group was really awesome, and we were all very well matched physically and also sense of humor, so we had a good laugh about our crazy situation. After five days of hiking, we reached summit night. It's one of those times in life where you know it's going to be hard, but you don't know exactly how hard. You know you'll be cold, but you don't know exactly how cold. I knew if I just followed the guides, went pole pole, I would get to the summit, right? Well, maybe not. The elevation was no joke. None of us really knew how the elevation and sub-zero temperatures would affect us. The base camp just before summit night was 15,331 feet. The summit is 19,341 feet. We had quite a climb to do that night. Also, I'd never been higher than 14,000 feet in Peru and that elevation had kicked my butt. To start out, I was pretty excited and energetic. I was so ready to do this thing we'd spent the last five days working towards. And I'm not ashamed to admit it, I was really looking forward to that picture at the top. This was it. Let's get this thing over with. We started hiking at midnight by headlamp in the dark, wind, and the cold. One little footstep in front of the other. That was my plan. Get into a flow state, keep those feet shuffling, and in a mere six to seven hours, we would have our victorious picture at sunrise on Uru Peak. 
There were so many cool things at the start. The moon was full. The stars were shining. You could see the lights of Moshi down below. And one of the coolest things was the endless stream of headlamps zigzagging up the mountain. In about one hour, those headlamps stopped being cool and started being a soul-crushing taunt. About a third of the way up the climb from Barafu to Stella Point, I started to have mini blackouts. You know that feeling you get when you stand up too fast? I was getting that on a regular basis. I was scared I was going to fall. And even though I was wearing all my clothes, I was so cold. My plan to just keep putting one foot in front of the other started to feel flawed. And I started to worry that I wouldn't be able to keep going. At about this point, I got the poem Invictus in my head. Dark is the night that covers me. Black is the pit from pole to pole. I thank whatever gods may be for my unconquerable soul. My unconquerable soul. Okay, keep going. Pole, pole, one foot in front of the other, keep going. And then I would wobble and have to stop. Dark is the night that covers me. I am the master of my fate. I am the captain of my soul. All right, Wendy, you're stronger than this. Keep going, I started to think. I've got this. We can't possibly have much farther to go. Then I would look up to see how far we had to go. And I swear to you, Stella Point got farther and farther away. It was halfway up the climb that it hit me. This is depression. This is anxiety. This is the perfect metaphor for mental illness. You're in the dark. It's cold and hard to breathe. All you can see is the small ring of light just in front of you. You can see other people's lights, but they just keep moving and you can't seem to get where they are. You've been assured that there is an end to this, that there is a peak after all this, but you just can't see it. And it keeps getting farther and farther away from you. It's so dark, you don't think you will see a sunrise. It's so cold, you can't imagine ever being warm again. And you struggle for every breath. Once this metaphor hit me, I took a moment and I sobbed. I cried because I realized that every person on that mountain with me that night, for just a few hours, knows what it feels like to have depression. The metaphor reminded me of the past few years. I haven't given up, I keep fighting. I may have to shuffle or even crawl but I stay in it. Even the reason for not giving up on this mountain was the same. I will keep going. I will keep going for my family. After seven hours, we made it. It was hands down the hardest physical challenge of my life. I also know I could not have made it alone. I had help. I don't think we make it through any of the hardest moments of our lives without help. So here's what helped me. I'll start with the biggest one, the support and encouragement from my husband. Mitch was right behind me for the entire climb. I actually didn't know at the time, but Mitch noticed when I'd start to wobble. Every time it looked like I might fall, he would stick out his arm ready to catch me. That is true love and support right there. He was loving and encouraging. He spoke to our porters and let them know what I needed when I was in an oxygen deprived stupor. And he stuck with me right behind me the whole way. There's no question in my mind he could have moved so much faster, but he never left me. The thought of standing with him at the top kept me moving my feet and having someone at my six to speak for me when I couldn't and to catch me if I fell, that's what we all need on our own perilous journey. We have that someone. 
there is someone in your life who is ready to catch you if you fall. If you don't know who that person is, I want to challenge you to look around. Who's always been there? A parent, a sibling, a significant other. There's someone there for you. Then there was my porter, Ayubu. He was the cheerleader I needed for some at night. I'm not going to attempt his accent, but I wish you could all hear him. He had such a kind and soft voice, yet he was powerful. He reminded me to drink water every 20 minutes. He put my gloves on when my fingers were so frozen. When I sat down and didn't think I could stand back up again, he made me stand back up again. He carried my backpack for me and he called me Mama Simba and told me I was powerful and that I could do it. Finally, when I was really struggling, he took my poles, he put his arm through mine and let me lean on him and walked me to the peak. I need to tell you that Ayubu was not a tall guy. He comes to my shoulders. This small in stature man was a giant to me when I needed him. There are people all around us cheering you on, a shoulder to lean on when things get to be too much. There's a person who reminds us who we are and that we are meant for great things. I had a Yubu on the mountain and I have had friends and mentors and teachers, family and so many people in my life that have shown up for me when I needed extra support. You know those people that just have an energy that lifts you up just by being who they are? Yeah, I love those people. Find yourself those people. Another huge help for me was music. I knew it was going to be a rough seven to eight hours. And I sensed that we were all going to find our own rhythm and zone out. So there wouldn't be a lot of talking, which is what had gotten me through the previous five days of hiking. Getting stuck with nothing but my own thoughts isn't always a good idea. So I found a playlist, put in one earbud and let the beat of the music move me forward. I've always been a slave to a beat. Just ask anyone in any of my spin classes. I don't teach anymore, but I did for years. With some solid steady beats in my ear, I kept my feet moving. One foot, the other foot, one foot, the other foot. And the variety of my playlist was pretty awesome. When I needed a burst of energy, a faster song would come on and give me a little kick. Then there would be other songs with a slower beat that would keep me steady and calm. Music is so powerful. Music lifts our mood, inspires us, and can change our emotional state in seconds. Here's an example from my life at home. The other day, my youngest daughter, she's 10, was lying on the floor, sad after a bad day at school. I laid next to her and asked her questions and let her talk. I gave her hugs and words of encouragement, all the things I could think of, but nothing stopped her from being sad. Then I asked Google to play party rock anthem. Don't judge, I knew it would make her smile. And suddenly she burst out laughing and within seconds we had a dance party in my room. She was in a better mood for the rest of the day. Music won't completely heal a mental illness, but it sure is a great tool. I would even go so far as to say when you're really stuck, music is better than almost anything else to get you out of that funk. So my mind was a nonstop circle of Invictus, song lyrics, and literally thinking right, left, right, left. And then the big emotional thoughts would hit me, my family and my kids. I already mentioned how important it was for my kids to see me at the top of the mountain. They know their dad is Superman. He does anything he sets his mind out to do. In the last year, my kids have watched me stumble. More than stumble, they watched me fall. It was very important to me 
that I show myself and my kids that I was mentally tough enough to do the hard things and to get back up. Getting to the peak of Kilimanjaro was very symbolic for me. Starting this new year, accomplishing something big was a signal to me and my family that I was back and ready to take on the peaks and valleys we are yet to face. I even carried a picture of my kids to the top of the mountain. It would take actual pulmonary or cerebral edema for me to give up. I was doing this for me and I was doing this for my family. Speaking of family, there was a thought that came into my head, I would say about three fourths of the way to Stella Point. I started thinking, I am Brenda's daughter. I am Ruth and Melba's granddaughter. I am Lillian's great granddaughter and Karen Christine's great great granddaughter. They made it through some really hard things. I can do this. I went through this genealogy a few times. Thinking of the women who came before me was kind of awesome and it pushed me forward. There's a quote I love that says, heaven is cheering you on today, tomorrow, and forever. My mom and my grandma Ruth are still here. Thinking about the women who had gone before me was very powerful. As I thought of my people, I thought of this quote, heaven is cheering you on today, tomorrow, and forever. I believe there are people on the other side cheering us on guardian angels, ancestors, or whatever you want to call it. Heaven is cheering you on. Finally, I prayed. I prayed every time I thought about stopping. I prayed every time I stopped to almost throw up. I prayed for the other people on the mountain with me. I prayed for my kids back at home. I prayed for my legs, my lungs, my heart, my brain, all of it. And I felt the power of prayer on that mountain. My thoughts on prayer have evolved a lot since I was young. I remember as a kid thinking of prayer kind of like making a wish. Ask for something, wish granted. As I got older and my relationship and understanding of God deepened, I realized he knows what I need better than I do. So why do we pray? And then I re realized that prayer is how you connect your spirit to your higher power. I'm Christian. I'm a member of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. So I call my higher power, Heavenly Father or God. You can call it whatever you want, but know you have a higher power. I believe we have loving Heavenly Parents who want us to talk to them. I believe that creating that connection makes a big difference in my life. Life is hard and I know I can't do it by myself. I know I have Heavenly Parents who want to help. And that is why I pray. On the mountain, on this dark, cold night, prayer brought me to a place of peace when I was ready to panic. Prayer helped me to look outside of myself and at the other people on the mountain with me. It got me out of my head and into my heart where I needed to be. Prayer helped me to feel a connection to something bigger than me, my higher power. This feels like a good time to mention that in my story, I have needed the divine to keep me putting one step in front of the other when I really didn't think I could do it. In some of my darkest times, I have felt what I describe as a hand of comfort at my back, letting me know that everything is going to be okay, even if I had no idea how. Prayer is one of the most powerful tools I have in my tool belt when I am in the night of my perilous journey. Arriving at the peak was one of the most powerful moments of my life. I fell into my husband's arms and started sobbing. 
then I noticed he was crying too. It meant so much to me that he was feeling exactly what I was feeling at that moment. And I could have stayed in that moment for a very long time. But the air up there is thin and our guides had stressed to us the importance of getting back down to better oxygen as soon as possible. So after I got my picture and we took a few more of the beautiful sunrise and the beautiful views from the top of Mount Kilimanjaro, it was time to go back down. Down was no picnic, but it only took three hours and it wasn't nearly as cold. So I won't give you a description of that experience. On this day in January, I conquered Mount Kilimanjaro. It was the hardest thing I've ever done physically. It reminded me of the hardest things I've been through mentally. I found that the same things that helped me reach the peak are the same things that have helped me in my darkest times in life. There are people encouraging you on both sides. There are people you can lean on that will help carry you through. There's music to help you change your mood and motivate you and move you forward. And there's a divine power just waiting to hear from you, ready to help you, to be there for you, to give you peace and strength beyond your own. The end of Invictus is pretty powerful, and I know that it's true. I am the master of my fate. I am the captain of my soul. Thank you so much for listening. I would love to hear about your perilous journey, whether physical or emotional. You can find me on Instagram at child songbird, or you can email me. It's wendy at messagesfromthemiddle.com. And I want you to know that you are loved and you matter no matter who you are or where you are in your story. We'll see you next time. Thank you so much for joining me in the middle of my story. My theme music is White Linen by Asher Child. He's my kid. You can find all of his amazing music on all streaming platforms. And you know, it just wouldn't be a podcast if I didn't ask you to subscribe and share this podcast with your friends. But seriously, it would really mean so much to me if you did. Thank you so much and see you next time.